Welcome to sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Well, welcome again. My name's Andrew. I'm so glad you're with us, whether you're sitting on your couch or your bed, tuning in from this city or around the world. Uh, We're so glad you're gathering around Jesus with us this morning. Today, we begin a nine-week series in the book of Acts. We've just come through the Gospel of Luke and the Easter season. And so really, we're going to be following that story through now, through to volume two of Luke's Gospel to camp out there and see what the risen Jesus is up to now through his church in the power of the Spirit. And so for these first three weeks, we're actually going to focus on the first eight verses of Acts because these verses are so foundational for getting into the rest of the book. And we're going to really pay attention to three topics. First, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And second of all, we're going to look at the effects of the baptism of the Spirit in terms of the power He gives to the church. And then finally, we're going to look at the purpose the purpose of the baptism, namely witness to Jesus. And these are such important topics that we wanted to slow down and really give one week to each of these. And so uh, today's focus is gonna be uh, baptized with the Holy Spirit. So I invite you to have a Bible open as always as we open up to Acts chapter one, verses one to eight. And I'll be reading that from the New International Version. And let's give ear, because what we're about to hear is indeed God's word. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Living God, we ask that even as we have heard these words, which you by your spirit inspired Luke to write, would you send your spirit upon us to illumine our minds, illumine our hearts that these words would carry your power your power to transform us, your power to open up before us an entirely new way of living in the power of the gospel. Come now and be with us. We pray, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen. 
baptized with the Holy Spirit. For some of us, that's probably a bit of a confusing phrase. Depending on your experience, uh, it might be something completely new to you. You might have never heard of that before. Or it might be something that you've heard of before, but has actually really unsettled you. It's been used in a way that unsettled your faith or made you question where, you're, where you stand in relationship to God. Like, is there something more that I need in order to be a fully-fledged Christian? And as we head into the book of Acts, the person and work of the Holy Spirit is so important. He is front and center and for good reason. As we look at the life and experience of the early followers of Jesus, what becomes so obvious to us is that they cannot be the church apart from an intimate and powerful experience and presence of the Holy Spirit with them. And similarly for us in our day today, in 2021, whether we're talking together as the church or you personally in your life, you cannot follow Jesus without a deep and vital connection with the person of the Holy Spirit. So I hope this morning we can clear away maybe some of the confusion and some of the baggage surrounding this term, baptism of the Holy Spirit, to see what the Bible really says about it so that we can stop reacting to different views on it and just start relating. Just start relating to the Spirit for ourselves to receive everything that God wants us to receive as Christians. So as we explore this, we're going to consider two main questions. First, what is it? What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And second of all, when does it happen? What is it? So first, we need to say it is the work of Jesus Christ. It is the work of Jesus Christ to baptize us in the Holy Spirit. How do we know that? Check out verse five of our text. It says, Jesus says, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will be baptized, meaning baptism with the Holy Spirit is not something the disciples are to do to themselves. It's going to be done to them by somebody else. The verb is in the passive voice. And if you remember back in Luke, way back in Luke, and in all the Gospels, John the Baptist, who, who made this announcement, actually revealed the identity of the Spirit baptizer, and it was Jesus. John said, I'm baptizing you with water, but one is coming after me who is greater than I, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And he was talking about Jesus. This is the work of Jesus Christ. And I want us to pause and notice a really important detail that Luke is setting up in the book of Acts. See, sometimes when we read Acts, we can think, okay, we've moved on from Jesus and we're now like talking about the spirit and the church, but Jesus is way back in the gospels. But check out what Luke says in Acts 1 verse 1. It says, in my former book, Theophilus, that's the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. He wrote about everything Jesus began to do and teach. And the point is, Jesus has not stopped doing and he has not stopped teaching. Luke wants us to see the crucified, risen and ascended Lord on the move. He's on the move now through the spirit and through his church. We need to remember that 
as we head into the book of Acts. So what is the baptism with the Spirit? First, baptism. What is that? Baptism to baptize simply means to immerse something. So in the uh, Jewish faith, baptism was used. Ritual immersion was used actually when people converted to the Jewish faith. They would be washed with water and it was a symbol of washing away their impurities and their entrance into the people of God. And similarly in the New Testament, baptism is adopted by the Jesus movement as the symbolic ritual of repentance and conversion and regeneration. In other words, and what we're going to see in Acts is that when people put their faith in Jesus, the next step was always get baptized in water. It's what we do as a church too. We baptize those who put their faith in Jesus. The symbolism is clear. We as humans, we're sinful, right? We're dirty and we need a bath. We need to be washed. We need cleansing. And now, It says that Jesus is going to immerse and wash people with the Holy Spirit. What or who is the Holy Spirit? Let's unpack that. Because there's so much mystery surrounding the person of the Holy Spirit. And so even though we want to unpack this, I just want to say straight up, we're not going to fully explain the person and work of the Holy Spirit. But here's a bit of insight. The word spirit in the Bible means breath or wind. It was how the biblical authors came to talk about the personal and powerful presence of God. Powerful and real and yet unseen. So I want you to do something. I want you to take a, a deep breath. Did you feel that? Did you feel the breath going into you? how your lungs filled with air and how that air sustains and animates your life. But did you see it? No, you you didn't see the air going in, but just like breathing animates and sustains our life, so God's spirit is powerful and real and life-creating and sustaining, and yet he is unseen. The spirit is God's powerful presence, and he is God's personal presence. Notice I am referring to he, not it. The spirit is a he, a person to be known and loved, not a force to be wielded. The spirit is God himself, the third person of the Trinity. So what this boils down to is this incredible announcement that the disciples are about to be immersed, they're about to be flooded, they're about to be washed, in God's own personal and powerful presence. Like, oh my goodness. And here's how this moment connects to the larger story of the Bible. You see, God actually made humans to live in his presence. You and I were made to live in the presence of the one who made us and to experience fullness and delight and joy and love in relationship with him. But because of our rebellion and sin, because we turned away from God and went our own way, we could no longer stand in the presence of our holy God, just not able to anymore. There's this impurity that has attached itself to us. And what the story of the Old Testament shows is how God doesn't give up on humanity, but he actually reaches out and sets apart a people who would once again 
carry his presence in their midst to the world, the people of Israel. And in the Old Testament, this was provisional. It was in the tabernacle and the temple system where in the middle of the temple, you had what was called the Holy of Holies. This was the hot spot of God's presence. But God's presence was mostly out of bounds. Like you were not allowed to go in there. And if you would go in there, you would be consumed. Only once a year was someone allowed to go in there. And it was the high priest on the day of atonement. But get this. The prophets spoke about a day when God's spirit would be poured out on all people. When God's presence would, in a sense, go viral. No longer contained to the holy of holies, but be poured out on all people. Check it out. Joel 2 verse 28 says this. It says, I will pour out my spirit on all people in those days. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And that's about to happen. We're seeing the fulfillment of this word about the dissemination and the presence of God going viral among his people and into the world. Because Jesus has dealt with that problem. Jesus has dealt with the problem of of sin that prevents us from being in God's presence. And now the moment is here. This is why it is so significant and such good news that when Jesus died, it says that the veil of the temple in Matthew chapter 27, it says that the veil of the temple was torn in two. And what this meant was that all of a sudden the way into God's presence was blown wide open, not just for one person, not just for one people, but for all people. This is such good news. Now, because of Jesus, the presence of God is no longer out of bounds to us, but it can immerse and fill our lives. So what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It is the work of Jesus Christ filling our lives with God's presence. It's the work of Jesus Christ filling our lives with God's presence. And and that baptism is what Jesus does. It's what he does to us to bring God's fullness into our experience. Now, you might be watching this and you're not a Christian. You might be thinking, well, what does this have to do with me? Well, think about this invitation. In the midst of all the emptiness that we experience in our lives, think about the invitation of Jesus to experience fullness. To have the emptiness that you feel filled with fullness, filled with the presence of of the one who is bigger than you, who made you, and who still loves you. That's the invitation. That's what we receive when we put our faith in Jesus. It's incredibly good news. And I would urge you to learn more about Jesus and to think about how your life might change if you put your trust in him. So that is what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. When is it given? When does it happen? And now we're getting into deep waters, aren't we? Generally speaking, there are three main views on this. First, the sacramental view. This view ties the baptism of the Spirit to the sacrament of baptism. It holds that when people are baptized with water, you are baptized in the Spirit. They are one and the same. Second, the evangelical view. 
This ties the baptism of the Holy Spirit to conversion, to the moment when you put your faith in Jesus, you repent and believe in that moment, you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. Third view is the charismatic view. And again, this is generally speaking. The charismatic view holds that there is a second experience that we need subsequent to conversion. Uh, It holds that there's this this two-stage process that you first believe in Jesus and then later you have an overwhelming and powerful experience with the Spirit and that's when you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. What are we to make of this? I want us to approach this by considering, let's consider two clear teachings of the New Testament about the Spirit in the life of the believer. First, the New Testament clearly teaches that the gift of the Spirit is given to those who believe in Jesus, when they believe in Jesus. That there is an immediate reception of the gift of the Spirit when we become Christians. In Acts chapter 2, just if you turn a page over in your Bible, uh, we're just going to fast forward a bit and and take a sneak peek at what happens. Uh, Peter is in the midst of explaining to everyone what is going on. And people ask him, okay, what should we do then, Peter, in light of what we see God at work doing? In light of what we, we, you're saying about Jesus having been God's Messiah and dying and rising and now sending his spirit on your, the people, what should we do about this? Check out what Peter says in chapter 2, verse 38. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is one movement. Repent, believe, receive. The baptism in the Spirit is our baptism into the death and resurrection of Jesus. It brings about our union with Christ and the New Testament teaches that we receive the Spirit as the seal of this new life in Christ. It's the plain teaching of Jesus and of the New Testament that every believer receives the gift of the Spirit. The second teaching that the New Testament has to say about the Spirit in the life of believer is this, is that the New Testament also stresses the ongoing filling of the Spirit. The New Testament stresses the ongoing filling of the Spirit. Let me show you what I mean. All four Gospels have the account of John the Baptist announcing the Spirit baptizer. But John the Apostle's gospel stands out from the others because when he gives his report of this event, he actually uses a different verb tense. In John 1.33, John is saying to look for Jesus and he says, that he on whom God is telling him, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes in the Holy Spirit or with the Holy Spirit. Notice how the word, the verb baptize there is in the present tense. He's not saying he will baptize like the other gospel writers looking ahead to Pentecost. He's saying he baptizes. Why is this little detail so important? It's because in New Testament Greek, that's the language that the New Testament was written in, verb tenses don't just tell you when an action happened, it also tells you what kind of action it is. 
And in the case of the present tense, it is telling us that this is an ongoing action. It's not a one-time completed action. It is ongoing. And what John the Apostle wants us to know is that Jesus continues to baptize. It's an ongoing work of Jesus to immerse us with and in the Spirit of God. This is the case in other places in the New Testament, especially in Paul's writings. Check out Ephesians 3.19. In Ephesians 3, there is this majestic prayer that climaxes with these words where Paul says, I pray that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then later in chapter 5, verse 18, he actually gives them a command. He is ordering them, be filled, present tense, ongoing action with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And so it's clear that while the New Testament teaches the immediate reception of the gift of the Spirit, it also teaches the ongoing filling of this Holy Spirit, not on a hit and run basis, but as a steady, daily surrender, a daily opening of ourselves to God. And indeed, this is how we abide in Christ. This is to be our normal Christian experience, that on a daily basis we allow Jesus to flood our lives with the presence of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And this is at the same time to be the most normal thing for us as Christians and the most supernatural thing because it's both at the same time. It's incredible news. Now, our need for ongoing filling makes sense, logically, for two reasons. First, because God is God. He is infinite in his majesty and holiness and love. And, and who on earth would presume to say, yeah, I was once baptized or filled with the Spirit and I kind of downloaded everything I needed to know about God in that moment. I got it all then and I don't need any. No, God is God. There's always more of him to know and to experience. And second of all, not only is there more of him to know, but there are more areas in our life that we need to open up to him. There are closed doors in us that we keep closed and we try to keep God out. Furthermore, we need the ongoing filling of the Spirit because we're constantly quenching the Spirit. We are constantly grieving the Spirit by, by our sin and by our hard-heartedness. You see, we, we fill ourselves with all kinds of other things, right? Lust, jealousy, gossip, backbiting, rivalry, pride, ambition, and you can't be filled with both. You cannot be filled with the things of the world. You cannot be filled with sin and filled with the Spirit at the same time. And so just as in Christ, we have objectively been forgiven of our sin in the cross and we need to ongoingly confess our sin, so we need to know that we have been filled and we need the ongoing filling. We need God to wash us and fill us with the awareness of his presence. Now, some of you might be thinking, Andrew, you're using the word filled, not baptized. We need to be clear with our terms. You've just done a bait and switch on us. We need to keep these things separate. We're talking about the baptism, not filling. And if you're thinking that, thank you for listening so closely. And I would agree with you. 
However, it's the New Testament itself that allows me to do this and allows us to speak in this way. Because the New Testament itself uses various words and images to speak of the same reality of the Spirit flooding our lives. Check it out. In our text today, Acts 1, 5, it says, you will be baptized, right? Jesus is telling them, uh, wait in Jerusalem because uh, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, flip one page over. Acts 2, chapter 4. This is the actual event of it occurring. This is what Jesus has said, the baptism happening. What does it say? It says all of them were filled. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled is used instead of baptized. And elsewhere in the book of Acts, it's the word poured out, giving the nod to the Joel text we read. The Spirit is poured out. Elsewhere it says that the Spirit came upon or fell upon believers. Elsewhere it says that believers received the gift of the Spirit. You see, the New Testament uses all these different words and images to speak of the same reality. And the point is not to get caught up in semantics, but to welcome the reality into our lives to welcome the fullness of God's personal and powerful presence into our lives. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. So, when does it happen? Coming back to these three views, what are we to make of it? In light of the teaching of the New Testament, it seems clear that all three are correct. They are correct because yes, when we're converted and we believe in Jesus, we are baptized with the Spirit. And yes, when we undergo water baptism, that is an experience where the Spirit fills us. And yes, subsequent to conversion, later on in our life, we have powerful encounters with the Spirit where we are filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. They are all correct, but they are all incorrect. And they are all Incorrect. They are all wrong for the same reason, it's, and it's because they assume it only happens once. The clear teaching of the New Testament is that we need the ongoing filling of the Spirit. And so the question we need to be asking is not, hey, when were you baptized or when were you filled with the Spirit? It's, are you being filled? The question is, how is this playing out in your life today? Are you aware of Jesus' desire to flood your life with the presence of God today? I love this quote from Frederick Dale Bruner in his commentary on John's gospel. I want you to read this with me. He says, The taking away of sins and the baptizing with the Spirit are two sides of the one experience we call conversion, regeneration, rebirth. He says, sin taking away and spirit baptizing are the constantly recurring experiences of being Christians. Sin is being constantly taken away from our conscience by the spirit constantly reimmersing us with trust in the crucified and risen lamb. Isn't that good? Then he says, we need continually to know our privilege of experiencing this ongoing forgiveness of sins and continuing immersion in the Spirit. He, and then he says this, there should be 
and can be and are second, third, fourth, and many even daily experiences of forgiveness of sins and of the filling of the Spirit. So what? How does this connect with us? Well, first, it's clear. Like Bruner said, we need to know our privilege. Not in an entitled way, not in like a I'm privileged and I'm better than you way, but in a gospel way. In a way that is aware of the fact that this privilege also comes to us by the sheer grace of God, that it is not us who baptize ourselves with the Holy Spirit, but this is the work of God in our lives, graciously initiating and giving us this gift. And the reason we need to know our privilege is because so many of us don't. I don't. There are days where I live completely oblivious to Jesus knocking on my door saying, hey, Andrew, I want to flood you with my presence today. Many of us feel insecure. We, we feel like we're missing something when it comes to the Holy Spirit. We need to know with rock-solid conviction that this is part of our inheritance in Jesus. And some of us are stuck on the past. We're looking back with pride on the day we were filled. But you're missing the invitation to be filled. Some of us are caught up in reacting to the the debate. We're just reacting and we're not actually relating and you're missing how Jesus wants to fill you. And some of us are probably just a little bit afraid of what might happen if we really did open our lives to the Spirit of God. What would happen if you really surrendered every part of you, your relationships, your bank account, your emotions, your pain and your hurt, uh, your your devices, your computer screen, your time? What would happen if, if you opened those doors and God actually came in to fill every part of you? Friends, Jesus longs to flood our lives with his spirit. It's part of the package deal of why he died and rose. So may we know the gift that we have received in Christ and may we open ourselves to be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Almighty God, thank you that you don't only clean us, but you fill us. Help us to know the gift that you have given to us in the Holy Spirit. Your very presence with us. May your love wash away our insecurity and fear and may your holiness and glory wash away our pride and pretension. Help us to welcome your fullness in our lives each day. We pray it in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.